BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey dudes, ask them if we can ride in the baggage compartment. The baggage compartment? We'd suffocate. Dogs ride in there all the time, man. They don't suffocate. Jesus Christ. Holy shit. I have a way. A way to protect Max. From here. This is Max. When one attacks, he will be in her mind. But I can do that too. I went into Mama's mind, into Billy's. I can go into Max's. She can carry me to Vecna. I can piggyback. I can protect her from one. Fight him from here. Mind fight. Righteous. Wait, so you actually think this can work? A bathtub would help. Yeah. Gotta be clean to enter the mind. What? No, no, it's a sensory deprivation tank. It helps her calm down and focus on her powers. Wait, we, we just passed a motel. Yeah, but they won't have enough salt. Well, how much salt are we talking here, my dudes? Well, it depends on the size of the tub, but a lot. Does 600 pounds suffice? You know a place that has 600 pounds of salt? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. It'll work. What will work? I know of a magical place that has all you need, my brave little superpowered friend. That mind fight is on. Come on, vamonos. Let's go, pronto.
the cradle bars comes a beckoning voice and spinning you have no choice Greetings, stranger friends, and welcome back to the Stranger Danger Podcast. We did it. We made it. I'm finally here. It's been a little while. It's been about two weeks since Stranger Things 4 ended. Uh, I needed some time. I gave you my instant reaction to the finale. Then I needed a little time to digest and, and, and prepare for, of course, episode eight, Papa, and then uh, today, episode nine, covering chapter nine, The Piggyback. I hope you guys have had plenty of rest, plenty of coffee, and plenty of contemplation, because this one is going to be a biggie. If you're on summer break, cancel any plans you have. If you're working, take a personal day and send your boss a link to this episode as the very valid reason why you just couldn't focus on work today. I don't want to waste any more time because we have a lot to get to. So now, without any further ado, let's jump back into the world of Stranger Things 4 for the last time. Maybe. As we relive Chapter 9, The Piggyback. Our final chapter opens on a cold, dark night in Soviet Russia. Yuri's working on Katinka while Antonov and Murray are chatting and keeping an eye on him. Not a very good eye, though, because they didn't even notice Yuri took some kind of part, maybe it looked like a spark plug, maybe, and he hid it in his coat. Seems like Yuri doesn't want to fix Katinka, or at the very least, he isn't in as big of a rush as the rest of them. Anybody else, like, shocked that we can't really trust this mudak? Still, though, he just goes through the motions of trying to get the chopper fired up. Though it sounds like he's, he's trying to flood it, almost. At least that's what I think Murray thinks, because Murray runs up and accuses Yuri to his face of trying to break Katinka. Trying to get them captured again, collect his reward. Yuri claims, no, 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 that noise you hear is good. His ladies make noise when he does this thing to them. Uh, but here's the thing. We know he's lying. And we know that Murray's right. Too bad Murray doesn't know these things, though. That would have saved us a lot of time. But because we have all this time, uh, we go inside the shed where Joyce and Hopper are still waiting for the phone call to ring while going through Yuri's contraband and looking for stuff to wear. Hopper gave Joyce the smallest stuff he could find and has an old 1980s Hulk Hogan shirt. That was back when we used to think that Hulk Hogan was this American hero. And think about it, to Russians in 1986, what was more American than Hulkamania? Maybe baseball and Michael Jackson? Things get a little awkward uh, between the longtime friends as they move to opposite sides of the room to change with some semblance of privacy, just, just a little. Now, while they're both getting undressed, they keep peeking over their shoulders, maybe to make sure they still have some privacy, or maybe to catch a little peek of the other one in their skibbies. 
Now, oh man, when Hopper takes off his shirt, it looks like he's been through hell. You can audibly hear him struggling a bit while he's taking his shirt off, and his back is showing the results of so much prison torture. He finds what, I have to be honest, at first I thought was a tampon, but I guess it was just bandages, and he's going to use that to better bandage up his arm, which, if you look at it, the cut, it looks like he got a pretty good cut there from the swat of the Demogorgon, and when I first saw that, I have to say I was really concerned that that wound was going to come out, you know, come come back, and it was going to be a bigger issue later on, like an infection um, or some sort of rotting, something bad was going to happen from that. And look, we've all watched the episode, right? I can say the spoilers, right? Thank goodness that didn't happen. Now, Joyce finished up getting dressed first, and she turned around to see a shirtless hopper, and she could see him wrapping up his arm, wrapping up the wound, and she goes over to see him. What did they do to you? No, it's not that bad. You know, I needed to lose weight anyway. I mean, it's actually given me time to think, you know, about who I've been and what I've done. I never should have sent you that message. You didn't know what was going to happen. I knew it would be dangerous. So did I. I made this choice. And I would choose it again, even knowing everything that I know. I would. Plus, you know, we do have that bait to get to, remember? Remember? I've been dreaming about it. Oh, uh, yeah? Yes. I have it all planned out. Pray tell. I'm getting two orders of breadsticks. Two. Those things knock your socks off. Enzo puts some spice on them. I don't know what it is, but it's good. And you... Dip it in olive oil? Forget about it. And uh, I'm wavering on the main course between the veal and the lasagna, but I think I gotta go with lasagna, right? So, you've been dreaming about breadsticks and lasagna? I've been on a diet of watery soup, moldy bread, and maggots, so yeah, I've been dreaming about breadsticks and lasagna, I'm assuming. (laughs) So I've been dreaming about something else? You tell me. Well, there's wine. Oh, wine's good. I was thinking about a nice Chianti. Chianti. Chianti, right. And then there's dessert. I gotta have dessert. Gotta have dessert. And after that? I don't know. Use your imagination. Who needs imagination? Huzzah! There it is! Finally, after all these years, Bopper! Yes, I used it again, but that's the only time I'm going to use it in this episode. But they are finally official! Oh, and then the phone rings. Damn it. Remember, you're listening! Talk about bad timing. But uh, that uh, that whole interchange between them was so good. I love Joyce's face when Hopper mentioned that he's been dreaming about their date and then just goes on and on to mention food. Uh, So, sure, they've been waiting all this time to either get the helicopter going or get the phone call. But this, this moment makes all that waiting, all of it worth it. Uh, uh, But damn it, the phone rings now. 
Now they have to deal with it. Talk about timing. So Hopper runs over to the phone, and Joyce does remind him, though. You heard her say, remember, you have to assume the KGB is listening. I, I know she didn't say that. And I know I have some listeners in Russia. How bad is my accent? Is it as bad as I think it is? Uh, I'm not going to stop doing it. Uh, as long as we're dealing with Russia and Soviet Russia, I'm going to do a terrible, terrible accent. But for right now, we, as Hopper rushes over to the phone, we leave Russia and we jump over to the very non-Soviet Hawkins, to that camper crew. Uh, where we last saw them, they dropped off Team House Party, uh, Max, Erica, and Lucas. They dropped them all off at the Creel House. And Robin, Steve, Eddie, and Dustin are all parked in the Winnebago while Nancy is going over because you, you, you realize, no matter what, Nancy is the goddamn leader of this crew. Of all of them, she is the leader. And Nancy is running over everything one more time. Okay. I want to run through it one more time. Phase one. We meet Erica at the playground. She'll signal Max and Lucas when we're ready. Phase two. Max baits Vecna. He'll go after her, which will put him in his trance. Phase three. Me and Eddie draw the bats away. Four. We head into Vecna's hopefully newly bat-free lair and... Flambe. Nobody moves on to the next phase until we've all copied. Nobody deviates from the plan, no matter what. Got it? Got, Got it. it. She might not be the oldest. She might not be the biggest. She might not be the strongest. But damn it, Nancy is their leader. And that, even that right there, the way she's like, got it, and they all say, got it. That right there solidifies it to me that um, Nancy, you know, I mean, Yes, they all can have their input. It's not a dictatorship, but um, she's the one who kind of uh, keeps everything organized, keeps everything on point. And uh, what's no matter, even though I said it's not a dictatorship, what she says goes. And now we know uh, what their plan is. They have a plan and we know it. Uh, they meet Erica at the playground. Max baits Vecna. Dustin and Eddie draw the bats away. And then uh, Robin, Steve, and, and Nancy head into Vecna's hopefully bat-free lair. And uh, Flambe, they light his ass up. So now that they have a plan, next step, execute the plan. Uh, they head out on their mission, ready to take out a monster while saving their friends, their town, and quite possibly the world. You know, I think about it. My God, I live such a boring life compared to, to this little monster squad here. So uh, they said the first step was meeting Erica at the playground. But that's not really the first step. The first step is going back to Eddie's trailer, back up the rope of sheets, and then back down the rope of sheets into the upside down. Steve's going to go first this time, and I have to tell you, uh, his landing, kind of badass. Whoa, what does he want us to do, applaud? I have to say I'm on both sides here. I love Robin's sarcasm because I am constantly sarcastic with my friends. And yet at the same time, I kind of do want to applaud at that perfect dismount from Steve Harrington. So he goes and gets uh, the upside down version of Eddie's mattress, which I have to say is only slightly more stained than the one in the real world. Now they all make their way through Nancy. But did you catch that little look between Nancy and Steve? Then Eddie, then a shield, then Robin then some more weapons, and then finally, Dustin. Now, the other four have all been in the Upside Down before. Hell, Nancy was in the Upside Down all the way back in Stranger Things 1. 
But this is Dustin's first time. The closest he's come in the past was in the tunnels back in Stranger Things 2. So they all head out of the trailer. As Nancy and Robin continue on, Steve turns back to talk to Eddie and Dustin one last time. He tells them, if things go south at all, abort. Draw the attention of the bats, keep them busy for a minute or two, and they'll take care of Vecna. He told them, don't try to be cute. Don't try to be a hero. You guys are just, and then Dustin finishes the thought for him, decoys. He says, don't worry. You can be the hero, Steve. And Eddie adds, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at us. We are not heroes. But you can see the smirk on his face. that He's enjoying saying that, like he's getting a kick out of, out of it, out of being playful and letting uh, Harrington be the hero. Steve gives him a nod, and then he turns to head out. Eddie calls him back and tells him one thing. Make him pay. They share a nod. And then Robin, Nancy, and Steve, the kill crew, head off to do what they came here to do in the first place. Kill Vecna. And then, then we get the final opening credits of Stranger Things 4. We'll miss you opening credits. We never skipped you once. And we look forward to seeing you again sooner rather than later. After the opening credits, we're at a gas station, seemingly still in Nevada or nearby Nevada, with the van crew, now with 100% more 11. Argyle is gassing up while Jonathan is at a payphone, talking with the nearby airport, I'm assuming, trying to find anything, any way to get a flight for 11 back to Indiana. Doesn't have to be a one-way. Hell, he'll do one seat if they have it. He said he's tried everyone. Like TWA, and I looked it up, they went out of business in 2001. Eastern and Pan Am, who both went out of business in 1991. I don't remember Eastern. Pan Am and TWA were like big, big airlines uh, when I was a kid, or well before I was a kid too. But it's funny hearing all those old airlines. So he's even playing the, the sick family member card, which isn't technically true. But to be fair, the truth is actually 100% more serious and 100% Less believable if you're going to tell them at the airline what's actually going on. Now, while he's at the payphone, Mike and Will are just kind of standing by, listening in, like hoping for some good news, and Eleven wanders off on her own. She takes an interest in a particular AAA billboard that says scenic route ahead, and it shows a family looking at what I assume is the Grand Canyon. She focuses on the girl in the family, a girl that is on her mother's back. (gasps) She's piggybacking on her mother's back. Ooh, there's the title. So while she's looking at the billboard, looking at that girl, uh, she starts to think about the time that she went into her mother's thoughts. She thinks back to the time that she went into Billy's thoughts. We cut back over and see that Jonathan had no luck with the airport. He hangs up the phone just as Argyle comes out and he had this idea. What if uh, we just fly in the baggage compartment? It's like dogs flying there all the time. Uh, But just as the boys are flummoxed by Argyle's kind of ridiculous idea, that's when Eleven walks back over and says that she has a way, a way to protect Max from here. And I'm like, what? 
Then you get uh, the clip that played at the beginning of this episode that kind of explains what piggybacking is. Eleven maps it out with very cute stick figures on the dirty windows of the pizza van. She says, when one attacks Max, he's in her mind. And she can be there, too. She's done it with her mom. She's done it with Billy. She can do it with Max, too. She can piggyback in her mind, protect her, and get to Vecna. She can protect her from one, from where they are. But they realize, well, to do this, they need a tub and salt. A lot of salt, like a ton of salt. Now, they knew there was a motel they drove by a little while ago. That would have the bathtub, but it wouldn't have the salt. Suddenly, Argyle, who has had some good ideas here and there, remember he found those tire tracks, my dudes, and he knows just the place that would have all the salt they need. How about 600 pounds of salt? He, it's, it's funny, he kind of sizes up 11 just using his hands, like, okay, yep, yep, that'll work, that'll work. He's like, all right, my dudes, I'll take you to the place. He's like, come on, let's go. I always love in TV and movies where he can't just say, I'm going to bring you here. He's like, come on, come on, I'll tell you on the way. So they all pile into the van without, he doesn't give them any explanation of where they're going or how he even knows of a place to take them to. We cut back over to Hawkins, to the Creel house, where we know Erica, Lucas, and Max are all there, ready to do their part of the plan. They all have these blue lanterns that I swear look like old bug zappers from when I was growing up. I have no idea if that's what they are, but that's what they look like to me. We see that Max is up in the attic, and Kate Bush is on a constant loop in her ears. The camera pans down through the floor. I love when they do this kind of stuff. And we see Lucas checking things out on the second floor. And then we go down to the first floor, where Erica is doing the same. They're all looking for signs of life from the other side. Erica's light flares up first. She quietly goes upstairs to find Lucas and holds up a note saying, Found Vecna. They must have gone up to tell Max because then we see all three of them go back downstairs to find the lantern still there in the middle of the floor, glowing and buzzing with life. Max gets up close to the lantern while Erica begins writing something else on her notepad. She shows it to Lucas. It says, phase one, question mark? He nods in agreement, and she heads off. They're being extra quiet, and I was trying to figure out why. Did they just not want to attract unwanted attention to the house? Or maybe they're figuring the quieter they are, the more Vecna might not notice that they're right there, until, of course, they're ready for him to notice? Or at least, notice one of them. So Erica runs out of the house and across the street to the old playground that's run down, but it's still there. She climbs into this rocket ship that looks like it's part of the jungle gym. And yes, she's outside. In the open. Where angry hicks might also be. And wouldn't you know it, that guy who's probably listed in the script as angry hick number one, he walks right by with his dog. You remember the guy from town hall meeting where Jason was getting everybody riled up to fight Satan? So he seems to be taking a keen interest in what Erica is up to and where she's running from because he glances over to the Creel house 
where he sees the glow of those blue lights inside. Something's going on in there, and I bet it's something satanic. As if the monsters of Hawkins aren't bad enough already, we have to worry about this grizzly-looking fella, and we have to worry about that Hawkins High star basketball jerk Jason. We cut over to see him taking target practice with his giant three fifty-seven Magnum. He's shooting at the high school football team's practice dummies. Now, I've heard of rivalries between school basketball players and football players, but this is taking it to another level. The dummies must have been stolen because he's outside Abandon's Benny's Burgers doing these, uh, you know, shooting practice, popping caps in their stuffed asses. He looks insane. While he's shooting, his teammate, you know, the prick with the hat, he comes out and tells him they may have something. And he's dismissive at, at first. He's like, uh, send, send this other guy instead. He doesn't want to follow any more bullshit leads. But the uh, kid says, yeah. I don't think you want to send anyone else on this one. Then he brings up the murder house over on Moorhead. And that, that seemed to pique Jason's interest. So we cut away from dangerous Hawkins, Indiana, and head back over to a seemingly much safer Soviet Russia. Outside, Yuri's still tinkering with Katinka, while everyone else is inside going over the phone call that Hopper just had. Okay, and uh, who exactly was this mystery woman? I'm not sure. I mean, she wasn't exactly mistalkative. You know, I spent five minutes trying to convince her I was real. I'm supposed to be dead, remember? Anyway, I finally get around to half convincing her. She starts to open up a little bit, and then she says that she's... A friend of the docks. Great, so am I. Now put me on the phone with him. I'm afraid the doc is indisposed. Indisposed? It gets worse. She said the docks with the girl, and the girl went off to fight some evil in Hawkins. Then they all went off grid, the doc, the girl, everybody. The girl meaning L. Yeah, it has to be. This is your daughter, American? Mm-hmm. And they're not alone. Joyce's kids are with them. Okay, I, I see the mood here is bleak, and understandably so. But I do think we need to consider the very real possibility that this mystery woman is, in fact, KGB. And she's... No, she's telling the truth. When we were in the lab, those particles we saw, they were alive. And if they're alive, that means a gate to open in Hawkins. Gate? What does this mean? It means we have to go home right now. What is taking so long? I thought you said he was close. Yeah, close to sabotaging us, you mean. We think he's playing us again. So put a goddamn gun to his head. And then what? He just spits out more lies. It's moot anyway. If your kids are truly in some kind of imminent danger, even if we were to leave this very moment, we wouldn't make it in time. The earliest we get there is late tomorrow. No, we don't have to make it back. Not tonight. Whatever this evil is, we know it's connected to the hive mind. And now we know part of that hive mind is in Russia. So we don't need to get back to Hawkins to fight it. All we need to do is destroy those particles. And if we're lucky, it'll hurt it enough to give the kids the upper hand. Wait, time out. We're talking about the particles inside the prison? 
The prison that we just narrowly escaped from? We broke out. We can break back in. Jim, the entire Soviet army is looking for us. Sure. We'll be exactly where they least expect. But there is a fine line between courage and stupidity, and this falls very far on the side of stupid. This is dirty dozen stuff, except there are uh, four of us. Three, actually. Breaking back in is going to be easier than breaking back out. That's why we need an airlift. This is where you come in. I don't care what it takes. You get Yuri in line, you get that bird in the air. Yuri mentioned something about a flamethrower, right? Oh, yeah. This will do. This will do just fine. Yes, yes, yes. That was a very long clip, I understand. But look, we love the show, so we don't mind hearing it again, do we? And plus, it had everything kind of in there. Uh, I, I wanted to get it all in. We see that Hopper actually spoke to uh, Dr. Owen's lady friend. I, I know, not that type of lady friend. She's a friend and a lady, hence the term lady friend. Uh, but the, the real thing is, now they know that their kids are up to something, and they're not safe. And... Uh, Joyce, Joyce's kids are there, Hopper's kids there, and they're dealing with Owens someplace. Uh, now they feel even more anxious to get back. But here's the thing. They realize they don't have to get back. If they can help with this hive mind, and I know I just played all this and I'm talking about it again, but that's the way it goes. Uh, they can do something here. They can take care of those particles, take care of the, the monsters there. If they could somehow hurt it over here, it is a hive mind. It will in some way help over there. So while they're waiting for this friggin' helicopter to be fixed by this friggin' Yuri, they figure, I don't think Murray's crazy about it, but they realize that the only thing they can do to help is to go back to the prison, to go back to the monsters and take them out. They have machine guns, and now they have a flamethrower. So that's the plan. Murray, Hop, and Joyce go back to the prison, and Antonov, I still want to say Enzo, but Antonov stays there and makes sure Yuri gets that bird up in the damn air. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Back in Nevada, Argyle brings them all to Surfer Boy Pizza. Remember the sign they saw when they were heading to Nina? And he's like, whoa, I didn't know they were expanding out here. Well, that wasn't just put there by accident. Here's the payoff. But wait, a pizza shop has that much salt on hand? No wonder pizza is so delicious. There's a pretty funny scene where Argyle basically has this bro-down conversation with an almost replica of him, a Nevada Argyle. Now, the kitchen was just closed, so unfortunately he can't feed them. But Argyle says, that's okay, my dude. We're not here for your tasty pies. You see this weird girl behind me? She needs a tub with a bunch of salt so we can enhance her psychic powers so she can save the world from the super bad dude. But to make this salty tub, we require your kitchen. <laughs> as Argyle says all this, the look on Eleven's face as she's just kind of staring blankly at the kid, it helps make the scene even funnier. And what's more, the kid isn't even phased by what Argyle just said to him. It's just that, you know, he was about to go meet Chaz over at the Taco Bell. Jonathan steps in, thankfully, and basically just bribes the kid with a joint, which seems to seal the deal pretty quickly. The kid heads off and leaves them to lock up and do whatever it is that Argyle just said. I'm pretty sure the kid probably already forget by the time he saw Chaz at the Taco Bell. And now, it's time for the first ever mind fight held in a pizza dough freezer. Argyle is right. This is pretty rad. We then get a little montage cutting back and forth from Surfer Boy Pizza as they clean out the freezer to the Upside Down trailer park where uh, Eddie and Dustin back in Upside Down Hawkins are taking down fences and anything else they can get their hands on to help board up this trailer that they're in. Back at Surfer Boy, we see Mike using a hose to fill up the empty, turned-off freezer. I hope they're using warm water because that thing still must be frigid inside. And while this is going on, Argyle, he's he's actually making a pizza. I guess when in Rome... The montage continues of the two groups, both in different states, held both in different dimensions. They're screwing metal plates into trailers in the Upside Down, making sensory deprivation eyewear, filling the tank with water and tons of salt over in Surfer Boy Pizza. And, of course, tossing the perfect pie. Somehow, all of this is shown with equal importance, including the pizza going in the pizza oven. And my goodness gracious, I am craving a pizza so much right now. Back in the upside-down Hawkins, we get a quick glimpse of the trailer. Ready for battle. Not bad, guys. And then Eddie says to Dustin, now for the fun part. There's a fun part? Jesus. (laughs) It's like she was destined for an alternate dimension. 
What do you say, Anderson? Are you ready for the most metal concert in the history of the world? Is that a rhetorical question? Let's do it. The most metal concert in the history of the world? Guys, I've seen some major metal bands in concert. The American Big Four, Anthrax, Slayer, Megadeth, and of course, Metallica. Seen them all. The new wave of British heavy metal, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, seen them too. Motorhead, Faith No More, Dio, Black Sabbath, I've seen them all. James Taylor, Harry Connick Jr., Weird Al, I've seen them too. Okay, well, those aren't metal, but but I've seen them too. Uh, Anyway, with all these bands I've seen, Eddie Munson is now promising the most metal concert in the history of the world? I have three words for you. Count me in. We stay in the Upside Down as Robin, Nancy, and Steve are now making their own way to the Creel House. Robin is slightly panicking, worrying they might have been going in circles in the woods. She runs ahead, leaving Steve and Nancy alone to chat. They were talking about how Robin is a klutz and how she mentioned it took her longer to walk as a kid. And Steve talks about how he actually used to crawl backwards as a child until he backed right down the flight of stairs and hit his head. Nancy jokes, oh, that explains so much. They laugh, but Steve's like, yeah, I mean, maybe. It's like, I'm super confident, but I'm also an idiot. But I guess with a big enough thump, he can learn to change. He said, I can you know, learn to crawl forward. And then he thanked Nancy for giving him the biggest thump of his life two years ago when she broke up with him. He said it changed his life. And now he's crawling forward. Slowly. He opens up to her and says, you know, maybe, maybe if another girl in the past had given me that thump before they met, before he and Nancy started dating, who knows? Maybe they would have made it. Nancy tries to interject, but Steve goes on. Remember the dream I told you about? About the Winnebago, about seeing the country with my six all nuggets. It's all true, every last word. But I left one part out. It's the most important part. You're there. You've always been there. Oh my God. They are really pulling at our heartstrings with all this Steve stuff. They're really teasing us. I mean, we know what we know now, but hearing this, seeing this, you're like, oh God. Oh, what are they doing? What are they? They're teasing us. Oh my goodness. We're thinking we might lose him. It was, it was actually a really quiet, touching moment. Uh, but of course, what happens? It's interrupted by Robin who runs up with awesome news. Looks like they weren't going in the wrong direction. Nance and Steve give a slight look to each other and then carry on following an exuberant Robin. Looks like they weren't going in the wrong direction after all. Now that line can be used to explain where they're heading in the Upside Down, but it also can be used to talk about Nancy and Steve's relationship. 
Yeah, sure. You know, Steve always thought they were meant to be together. But maybe the direction they're going, the one where they're not together, isn't the wrong way after all. Or maybe I'm just reading too much into a simple line. The three of them make their way through more woods and down a slight embankment to where it opens up to Moorhead and the upside-down Creel House, surrounded by Demabats. But then they direct their attention away from the house to the playground across the street, where they notice a slight glow in the dilapidated rocket ship jungle gym. There it is, Erica's signal. Back to, uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, Soviet Russia. Jim, Joyce, and Murray drive the van right back through the gate area uh, to head back to the prison. But there are no guards at all this time. Hobbs says, maybe this will be easier than we thought. Oh, famous last words, bub. Murray says, I don't know. I got a bad feeling about this, which is a classic line from so many Star Wars movies. Now, as they drive towards the prison, we see inside the guard station. It's empty. But we hear on the radio what is going on over at the prison, and it sounds terrifying. Screaming and growling and bullets. Oh, my. The trio head right back to that sewer cover they escaped from and heading right back into the prison. It's like going to visit high school the year after you graduated. You got out, guys. You don't have to go back. And as Hopper's about to go down into the hole with his new friend, Mr. Flamethrower, he stopped by the sound of machine gun fire. And then he heads into the sewer anyway. Oh, my God. So much for being easy. Still in Russia, we head back over to Yuri and Antonov. Antonov is smoking a ciggy, watching Yuri still working on that damn Katinka. He decides finally to say something to Yuri. This is all in Russian. I didn't translate it. It's something called subtitles. Antonov asks Yuri, have you always been a coward? And Yuri says, Yuri Ismailov is many things, you traitor, but he is no coward. If that is so, why do you continue to stall? What do I owe these Americans? Nothing. And then Antonov goes off on him. This isn't just about America, smuggler. They have warned us of a great evil in the world, an evil that does not rest, that does not respect the borders. After it has consumed everything in their land, it will come for us, for our families, for our motherland. You saw it with your own eyes. You know it to be true. And yet you continue to play tricks. He brushes right past Yuri. I was told the peanut butter smuggler was once a great man before he lost his way to drink in cards. That he led his men to victory over the Chinese in Domansky. Is that true? And Yuri says, It is true. That hero, where is he now? Because I do not see him. Antonov walks off frustrated. But his words seem to ring true with Yuri. You could see it in his eyes before he reaches into his jacket and pulls out that, I don't know, I want to say spark plug. I don't know anything about helicopters or cars. But it was that piece he pulled out before, sabotaging his own repair job to buy time. But maybe now, Yuri, can we count on you to do the right thing? Your 
As we wait to see if Yuri can get his bird flying, we fly back to Hawkins and back to the Creel house. Max and Lucas are sitting together in a room, waiting for a signal before they can move to the next phase. They're staying as quiet as possible, Kate Bush still playing on the Walkman, and using notepads to communicate back and forth. Max starts with a hi, and Lucas responds with the same. She tells him, I'm glad you're here. And he says, me too. They share a cute smile, and then Lucas writes another note down. Movie Friday? She responds with a stick figure drawing of them at the movies holding popcorn. At this point, I was really looking forward to them going to the movies together. Their nice, quiet little moment is interrupted by a flashing light. The signal from Erica across the street at the jungle gym. Lucas signals back to Erica. Okay, the lovebirds have copied. Max is moving into phase two, distracting Vecna. So far, so smooth. Yeah, we're not even at the hard part yet. In the Upside Down, Robin, Steve, and Nancy wait as Nancy looks at the Creel house. Take the bait, you son of a bitch. Take the bait. Take the bait, you son of a bitch. But wait. That's not just bait. That's our friend. That's Max. Inside, Max is ready. She looks at the lantern Erica left on the ground. It's buzzing with energy. They know that Vecna is there. But doesn't that mean that he knows that she's there? At this moment, she shuts off her safety net. Her tether to this dimension. Kate Bush is no longer there to help her. She's ready for you, Vecna. music, no more games. Do you hear me? What are you waiting for, huh? Come on, do you want me or not? As she yells for Vecna, the lantern on the floor suddenly powers down. And her lantern flares to life. He's here. And he's ready for her. Lucas and Max now head upstairs. Can I just say, I don't like this plan, guys. Maybe come up. I I didn't mind Lucas's plan. Find another kid. Someone we don't know. Someone we don't care about. Maybe Jason. He seems to have a little trouble. Find someone else. A little, you know, some, some bait that we don't know. I, I know that's not that's not fair and that's not right, but uh, I, I only know Max, so I don't I don't care about these other kids. Anyway, we cut back over to Surfer Boy Pizza, and something smells really good. Now Mike is putting the finishing touches on the eye covering he made uh, from the sunglasses and pizza boxes. He tries them on uh, to make sure they keep out any peripheral light. And while he does, he kind of jokes with Al. He says, do these make me look cool? They have a fun moment together. 
It's a nice moment where Elle says uh, uh, she missed him. And Mike says the same. It sounded like he wanted to apologize to her, uh, probably say something more. Finally, maybe say he loves her. But out of nowhere, Argyle drops a fresh pie in front of them. Wait, are those pineapples on a, on a pizza? Mike is truly aghast with a thought of fruit on pizza. But Argyle's right. Try before you deny, dude. Eleven tries it. And I have to say, she thinks it's really good. And I agree. It is really good. Think about it. The salt of the cheese transposed, I don't know if that's the right word, with the sweetness of the pineapple. It's just a perfect yin and yang. Uh, they try to get Mike to eat some. Like, really try to get in his mouth. They try to shove it in. It's, it's a pretty funny moment. In the back area of the kitchen, uh, Will watches them. He's looking a little glum. And Jonathan, still stirring the water and salting the water, couldn't help but notice. Oh, and you can hear in the background, Mike actually tried it, and he liked it. He likes it! Hey, Mikey! Mikey likes it! If you're not familiar with Life Cereal and those old commercials, being that my name is Mike and growing up I was known as Mikey, and to a certain group of my friends, all these years later, I'm still Mikey, uh... I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard people say, give it to Mikey. Mikey likes it. Mikey likes it. Yes. When you grow up at that time with that commercial and that name, it's inevitable it's going to happen. Now, Jonathan and Will are still stirring the water to make sure that the salt disperses evenly. But Will's kind of barely doing anything. And Jonathan could kind of tell that you know something was probably on his mind. Do you remember that time you told me you had a Lego stuck up your nose? What? Yeah, like it was like a, it was like a construction guy. You'd call him Larry. Oh, come on, you don't remember? He had like the high-vis jacket and the removable hat? Yeah, vaguely. Well, I remember it like it was yesterday. And I was, I was freaked. Cause, cause, cause this Larry, this, I mean, Larry was way, way up there. I, I don't even know how you got him that far up. I had to do surgery. I had, I had to get tweezers to pull him out. Bull. No, 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 I swear on my life. I don't know, I just, I feel like you used to come to me more for help. Or to just talk, you know? No, it feels like you don't do that anymore. Not like before. A lot of that is probably my fault. In this last year, I know I've been distant. Or stoned. Or stoned, yeah. But that has nothing to do with you. I mean, that's me dealing with my own shit and hiding from my own problems. The truth is, I miss talking to you. I, like, really miss it. And I think, Right now, we need to talk more than ever because things are getting just complicated. Right, a lot more complicated than Legos up the nose, you know? I just, I don't want you to forget that I'm here. And I'll always be here, no matter what. Because you're my brother and I love you. And there is nothing in this world, okay? Absolutely nothing I will ever change that. You got that? Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm always here for you, too. 
I know. I know you are. Come here. love that moment. I better bleep that out. I let my emotions get the best of me there. I saw something online about people being upset the will didn't 100% completely come out. But come on, guys. He's a freshman in high school in the goddamn 1980s. He'll do what he needs to do when he's comfortable doing it. But Jonathan, God bless you, big brother. Just saying what you said, letting Will know that you love him and you will not stop loving him no matter what. It was such a sweet moment. And both of them delivered such wonderful performances right there, both the actors. It's going to be okay, he says. I just loved that moment, the emotion on both their faces. Just the, I feel like at one point, it seemed like Will was like, you won't, like, you'll still love me, you'll still accept me as your brother. Like the, like almost like a sigh of relief when his brother spoke up and talked to him like that. It was absolutely wonderful. And with that, they think the tank is ready to go. So they go out and announce to everyone, it's time. Eleven takes off her socks, gets into the tank. Jonathan puts on the radio, puts on a little static, and she lowers herself into the tank. She puts the pizza goggles on and is ready to roll. Pretty quickly, the lights all of a sudden start flickering. They're all used to it, but Argyle is like, ooh, he's mystified. And the screen goes black as Eleven heads into the void. We see Max and Lucas walking within the darkness of the void. Eleven found them. She's right there with them, but they, they don't know. She sees them in the attic now. Max holding the blue light. She yells, What are you waiting for, asshole? I'm right here. She's ready for him. Ready for him to take the bait. Elle is relaying what's going on back to the boys in the pizza shop. She tells them that Max's plan is not working. Max puts down her Walkman and sits on the floor. And she starts to speak directly to Vecna. I know you can hear me. I know you can read my thoughts. Even the worst ones. Maybe mostly the worst ones. I'm sorry, how was she not nominated for an Emmy? I thought about what you said. About how I wanted my brother to die. I thought that you were just trying to upset me. To anger me. But you weren't, were you? You were just telling the truth. Billy, he, he made my life living hell. Every chance he got. So, sometimes, when I would lie in bed at night, I would, I would pray 
pray that something would happen to him. Something awful. You can see Lucas watching her, never realizing how much pain she was actually I in. I knew that he drove too fast, so I would imagine him crashing, dying in that stupid car. I just... I wanted him out of my life. Forever. I wanted him to disappear. The day that he died... I think that's why I just... stood there. Watched. Not because I was scared or weak, but because I didn't know if he deserved to be saved. Then I've tried to forgive myself. I've tried, but I can't. Eleven is witnessing this in the void. I can't. Seeing her friend in so much pain, so now, now when I lie in bed at night, she can't forgive herself. I pray that something will happen to me. What else? That something terrible will happen to me. The guilt. So much guilt. She just wants him to take it away. So that's why I'm here. I just want you to take me away. And I want you... to make me disappear. Is that... all true? You wanted Billy to die. Why are you talking? Okay, Lucas, talking at all? That was my first clue. You ever have thoughts like that about me? No, Lucas, never. Normal people don't fantasize about killing other people, Max. You realize that, right? Lucas, please. I thought you were getting better, but you're not, are you? You're sick. Lucas, you don't mean that. Maybe it is good he takes you. Maybe it's for the best. In fact, that is going to be you. You will be the chosen one. The fourth, the final sacrifice. It's going to be you that breaks the world. Max, can you hear me? We can see the truth of it, and Eleven sees it too. He has her. She's already in Vecna's grasp. Max. And now she's using Lucas against him. Don't be scared. Stay away from me. Max. She screams at him to stay away and then smashes him in the face. And as she turns and runs, we now see that it is indeed Vecna. Yeah, it's okay. I'm coming. I'm coming. Just hold on a little longer. In the void, Eleven walks right up and grabs Max's hand. She says, I'm here. I'm coming. Just hold on a little longer. She turns and now starts to focus from within the void to go into Max's mind. 
some serious inceptioning going on here without the use of that weird machine that Leonardo DiCaprio had in the movie. In the pizza shop, the lights go wild. For Eleven, she starts to see Max's memories starting at the more recent ones and going backwards. Back to them helping with the packing and moving last year. Back to sleepovers with Eleven. Movies with Lucas. Living with Billy. Trick-or-treating with all the boys. Getting that high score on Dig Dug. Being introduced to Mr. Clark's class. Arriving at school on that first day. Back, back, back. Back to a sun-filled day. Eleven's in the past, in a memory, a Max memory. It looks like part of L.A. River, maybe? I'm not sure exactly. It's a spot where I feel like I've seen something like it in a lot of cool movies, um, like in Greece or in Terminator 2. I don't know if that's the exact same spot, but it reminds me of it, where it looks like there's this dried-up riverbed and there's these slanted ramps on either side uh, where you can see a bunch of early 80s skateboarders using these side ramps for a myriad of tricks and stunts. But what Eleven doesn't see is Max. But she's here. She she has to be here. Outside of the memory, outside of Max's mind, outside of the void, Lucas is now signaling frantically back to Erica, who passes on to the Upside Down crew that she's in. Initiate Phase 3. The most metal of all the phases. Let's hope they hear this. Oh, they're gonna hear it. Chrissy, this is from you. Get here! Eddie rips into the 1986 Metallica classic, Master of Puppets. And guess what? Those bats, they hear it. It's working. Let's go. Eddie's putting on the first interdimensional metal concert in the history of everything, and it's melting my brain. It's clearing the way for the kill crew to go into the Creel house. But while this is happening, Max is running for her life from Vecna in her mind. Oh, you know how she hates being called Maxine. She's trying to get through a door, but she can't escape. And Vecna is not far behind. And if that all isn't bad enough, these goddamn basketball assholes decide to show up right now because of that stupid mullet man was out walking his stupid dog. Okay, maybe the dog's nice. But he saw Erica. They see Erica in the playground now, but she sees them too. And she runs for her life. But stupid Andy's right on her trail. All hell breaks loose. Max keeps trying to escape, but running into dead ends. The bats are getting closer and closer to Eddie and Dustin. And now in Max's mind, we see Billy. Billy's behind the door, reliving that sauna test that we saw him trapped in from last season. My God, even that craziness feels like simpler times. It's all in her mind, though. She knows that. Oh, shit. Andy caught up with Erica and he tackled her. Tackled her? What a prick. She's a little kid. In Max's mind, Billy's getting closer. In the real world, Andy has Erica's arm twisted behind her, 
And over at the concert, they need to shut shit down in 30 seconds or those Demobats are going to get them. Solo time! In Max's mind, with Billy smashing through the door, he's about to get to her. But she takes a deep breath. She focuses. And she realizes that she has to stick to the plan. The plan was not to be stuck in the bad memories. Not to be held in the place of despair for Vecna to overpower her. She needed to go to the light. She needed to go to the good. Dustin and Eddie are now out of time. Billy smashes through the door. And Max? She's gone. Gone to a happier place. Holy shit. She found the light. (laughs) And of course, it's the Hawkins Middle School snowball. The dance from the ends of Stranger Things 2. The place she kissed Lucas for the first time. Happiness. She appears to be safe. For now. I wish the same could be said about Dustin and Eddie, who are now hauling ass off the roof of the trailer and running inside the fortified structure. Dude! Most! Metal! They both let off primal screams of excitement because that was, indeed, the most metal ever! Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. As Eddie and Dustin celebrate a successful diversion forged in the fires of heavy metal, we go back to Soviet Russia and go back into the prison with Hopper, Joyce, and Murray and a flamethrower. They come up through the same grate they made their escape through, but the lab area they left seems to be a little different. Uh Uh-oh. The monsters. All of them. The Demogorgons in the glass cases. Those swirling, whirling particles. They're gone. They've escaped. All the containers holding everything. Smashed to shit. Oh, dear God is right, Murray. The trio make their way out of the lab area down those little steps into the main control room. The room that has all those buttons that Joyce smashed and mashed to free Hop and Antonov previously. It looks like a war broke out here. Bodies everywhere. Oh, and there's the warden. He's, uh, he's alive, but he looks like he's been very, very badly attacked. And when I say alive, I mean like he's barely alive. 
проник в лабораторию. The monster got in. Охрана пыталась его остановить. The guards they tried to stop it. Из-за стрельбы резервуары лопнули. The gunfire shattered the tanks. Другие монстры тоже ухрели. The others came alive. The particles. Ask him about the particles. А как насчет частиц? Черные частицы в заднем резервуаре похожи на пыль. Тень утекла. Она пошла в них. He says they call it the shadow. The shadow went into them. Into who? В кого? Во что? Before Murray could get the answer, the warden killed over. He's dead. I told you he was barely alive. But then they hear a screech. They look up at the security monitors and see demodogs skulking through the prison hallways. I think this answers your question, Jim. The shadow is in them. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that's that's no big deal. Those. Those scary particles that they call the shadow are now inside the monsters? That's that's cool, cool, cool. It should still be no problem, no problem. Easy peasy, right? Oh, boy. So we head back to the Upside Down to find Robin, Steve, and Nancy now heading into the Creel house. They have work to do. But uh, remember how they really are trying to avoid stepping on vines on account of the hive mind and everything? Well, this house is crawling with vines. Like, most of the floor and the walls, all vine. It's more vine than anything else. You gotta be careful where they're stepping. Steve leads the way playing some kind of nice, fancy, dangerous hopscotch as he safely maneuvers his way deeper into the house. A hesitant Robin follows, and finally, Nancy goes as well. As the trio of teens continue on their monster-killing mission, we venture back into the memories of Max Mayfield. Eleven found Max in the memory, but she's a younger version. You can tell by her look and her personality, it's definitely her. But she can't see Eleven. She can't communicate with her. Will asks if Eleven can see any signs of Vecna or the Mind Flayer, but she says no. Everything is normal. Oh, wait. There is something that doesn't fit. She sees what looks like a DJ table from a party or a dance up on a walkway. She thinks it's another memory. A memory within a memory. Remember at the end of Stranger Things 2, I just want to go on a little little side tangent here. When this song's playing, and it seems like a perfect song, it's the police, it's of the time, huge hit. But then there's that double meaning to it, where the, the whole world flips upside down, and we see the mind flare, and I'll be watching you. So, it's just such a great moment. This the, the I mean, my God, the music use in this show is like, there, there are no rivals. They, they are the king of using music. And I love shows that use pop music and old rock music. I mean, this is, they're the kings. And that's why they better win the Emmy in this one. Uh, we go into uh, the memory where Max's consciousness is hiding at the dance. 
Right now, she seems like she's just trying to stall, trying to buy time while the others destroy Vecna. She has no idea that there's someone else there in her mind, someone trying to help. As she waits, a balloon suddenly bursts into a bloody mess, then another, and another. And while we can clearly see it's the police album on the turntable, the music changes. Oh, good. Henry Creel's favorite song. That's not ominous at all. It seems like her happy place, her light, has a visitor. In the skateboarding memory, Eleven approaches the DJ table to try to understand what she is seeing. In the snowball memory, the school dance hall is now changing. Flowers are wilting. Not for the last time in this episode. The light is being drained from the room. And we see the dark flakes, the particles of the upside down. And then the storm. The storm of red is flashing in the sky. On that bridge with the skateboarders, Eleven sees the same storm in the distance. Back in reality, Max is still sitting on the floor, crisscross applesauce still deep in Vecna's trance. Lucas is freaking out, which is understandable. He goes back to signal Erica, trying to figure out what is taking so long. He's flashing a light outside to Erica, but Erica, she's still currently being held down by stupid Andy and his stupid hair and his stupid hat. Erica is struggling, fighting, and he tells her to stop it or he's going to break her arm. The hell, dude? Inside the house, Lucas, still signaling, hears something. Someone's in the house. Someone's coming to the attic. Jason, can't be here right now, man. What the hell have you done? Jason, you need to leave. Is this what you did to Chrissy? Just hey. listen, Jason, you need to go, man. Hey, can you hear me? Jason, don't touch her. I'm hey. not messing around. Hey. Jason, please, just... Hey, back up! Whoa. Back up! No, 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 step. Wait, 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 we don't have to do this. We don't have to do this, man. Yeah, I hope you're right. Wait, is there anyone else in the house? No. No. Turn around. What? Turn around! Okay, okay, okay. Relax, relax. And put down your flashlight. It's okay, okay. And empty your pockets. Empty your pockets! This is what's going to happen. I'm going to back away to the top of the stairs there. And I'll watch as you wake her up from whatever the hell this is. I can't. Jason, if I wake her too soon, we all die. You don't wake her up right now. You die, Sinclair. Just you. Jason, 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 you stupid, frightened son of a bitch. Pulling a gun on our friend Lucas, your teammate, your former friend, threatening to kill our friend Lucas. 
You've gone off the deep end, buddy. You're you're too far on the other side, man. I have zero hope or desire that you'll be saved or see the truth. This is too much, buddy. Too much. Back in Soviet Russia, he's really not going to stop doing that, is he? Uh, Murray, Joyce, and Hopper walk out into the prison yard. Hopper has a plan. Put the electric fence back on, the electric gate. Lure the monsters out there, trap them in there, and then rain fire upon them, hopefully giving Ellen the kids an upper hand. Murray likes the idea, except, you know, for that whole getting them all in here part. It's a hive mind. You draw one, you draw them all. You're the grill master. Okay. And you, you're the jailer. You get that fence turned on, and once they're all in here, you lock that door behind them. What about you? I'm the bait. Jeesh, there sure is a lot of bait in this episode. In the control room, Hopper finds one lone demodog in a laundry room. He's their target. If he can lure him into the prison yard, they can get them all in. Joyce has a quick flashback of seeing Bob getting killed by one of those very same things. It distracts her for a moment, probably thinking, Oh God, I can't go through this again. Hopper sees the concern in her face and tells her, I'm going to die someday, but not today. Besides, he still has that date to get to. You can see Joyce is not too thrilled with the plan, but he promises her, this time it will be different. They share a kiss and he heads off. Oh man, when I first heard him say that, I was like, no, no way. There's no way they're going to reunite Joyce and Hop only to tear them apart again, right? They, they, they wouldn't do that, right? Right? We travel back to the land upside down. That was a terrible Australian accent, terrible parody. I literally just thought of it as I hit record. No planning. Uh, uh, you can just forget that. If, if Forget that from your mind. I'm not going to even edit it out. I'm just going to ask you as a listener, never think about that again. But we do travel back to the upside down, back to the trailer park, back to the trailer where Eddie and Dustin are now standing back to back, weapons and shields drawn inside the fortified trailer. Suddenly, they hear the Demobats on the roof. They follow the sound, the sound to, oh God, a vent that wasn't covered. They can't get in through there, can they? Yes, Dustin, yes, they can. One of those little shits sticks its shrieking head right through. But instead of running, I do love that the two of them take the time to attack. And they start stabbing at the little creature. Die! Die, you little bastard! Kind of reminded me of uh, Corey Feldman at the end of Friday the 13th, the final chapter, where he's like, Die! Die! Where he's hitting uh, Jason Voorhees over and over with a machete. Um... And I literally, I didn't even write that down. It just reminded me of it just now when I was listening to it again. Now, while they're dealing with that in the Upside Down, over at the Creel house, the Kill Squad are slowly making their way upstairs to the second floor. 
they can see red flashes coming from an open attic door. They prepare to go in for the kill, but then an earthquake hits, stopping them for a moment. And then even worse, those goddamn vines. They come to life. First they grab Robin. She's like, Steve, pulls her away. And while they're trying to cut her loose, Steve and Nancy, the the vines grab them as well, smashing them up against the wall, holding them, suffocating them. And while all that's going on in the Upside Down, back in Soviet Russia, Hopper, now with a rifle in hand, he's making his way through the halls of the prison. There's evidence of death and violence all around him. He goes to the laundry room. Ooh, there's something still in the dryer. There we see a demodog snacking on the belly of some poor bastard. Hop gives a little whistle to get its attention. The creature quickly gives up its snack and gives a full-flowered mouth-face scream. Hopper slams the door and runs. The beast cracks through the door pretty quickly and takes up the chase. We very quickly go right back to the Upside Down trailer. Eddie and Dustin are still fighting off Zabats when Eddie takes one of the makeshift shields and slams it into the ceiling. The nails hold in place, securing the breach of the trailer. But wait, are there any other vents? Oh, shit. Too late. They've made their way in through Eddie's bedroom. The boys slam the door shut to the room, but that's only going to hold them for so long. Let's go, let's go. Dustin climbs up through the gate and lands back in the actual trailer floor. Eddie goes to follow, but then he stops. He actually lowers himself back to the floor. Dustin is screaming, come on, Eddie, let's go. But instead, Eddie uses his spear to cut the rope between dimensions, and he moves the mattress out of the way. He wants no chance for Dustin to follow him. And Dustin is screaming, What are you doing? What are you doing? Eddie grabs the shield, looks up at his friend and tells him, I'm buying more time. And he heads off. Eddie bursts out through the trailer door, grabs one of the bikes out there, and pedals his ass off. The swarm of Demobats now hut on his trail. Back in the snowball memory of Max's mind, she's not just going to sit there and wait for old Vecna to show up. No. She's going to do a little fortifying of her own. Piling up every folding chair she can find, putting them up against the door as a barricade. Who knows if that'll do anything? But it can't hurt. Oh, jeez. She turned around to get another chair, and when she turned back, they're all gone. No chairs by the auditorium door. In fact, there's no auditorium door anymore. Instead, Max is looking at a door with a very familiar stained glass window. The door of the Creel House. And it slowly starts to open. You think I don't see what you're doing? Is Mike a good kisser? You think I don't see everything? You thought you could trick me. You thought your friend could stop me. 
you see fear in Max's face but then it looks like there's resolve like no she's not going to just turn away she can deal with it she takes a deep breath and she starts to think about her favorite memories again perhaps thinking that she can go someplace else but Vecna was ready for that he shows Max all her other friends and what they're doing and what they're going through Flashes of Lucas at gunpoint. Robin, Nancy, and Steve pinned against the walls by vines. Eddie and Dustin, when they were fighting off the Demobats. I feel like Vecna is showing these visions to her. We even see the Demogorgons from Russia. So I'm not sure if that is for us, the viewer, or if Vecna is actually showing her all this pain. And letting her know he knows everything that everyone is doing. You know, maybe they weren't setting him up. Maybe he was setting them up. She turns to look around the room, and in classic horror style, when she turns back, he's right there. It's time. He sends her flying across the auditorium, pinning her up against the wall her arms spread out wide. In the real world, Lucas is trying to explain things to Jason. We call him Fekna. He lives in another dimension. That's why you can't see him. And Eddie Munson and his, his Hellfire Acolytes. Will you all summon this Vecna? No, no, you're, you're not listening. Just listen. There, there's no cult. There never was. You expect me to believe that? It's the truth. Then why was Chrissy at Eddie's trailer? She was buying drugs. Liar! Chrissy, she was seeing things, terrible things, things Vecna forced her to see. She was scared. She just needed help. See, that's how I know you're lying. If Chrissy was scared, if, if Chrissy wanted help, she would have come to me. Not Eddie. Not that freak. Never. Sure, you seem like a real reasonable person, Jason. You're wrong about Eddie. No, but I was wrong about you. I never should have let you in the door. And I never should have knocked. Hell yeah, Lucas, you tell him. I thought I wanted to be like you. Popular. Normal. But it turns out, I was just a raging psychopath. You have five seconds to wake her up. Lucas Sinclair, I love you. He takes his chances and he lunges at Jason, ducks down as that mother effer actually takes a shot. If he gets out of this alive, he should be sent to prison on attempted murder, spend the rest of his life in jail, or maybe just half, wink, wink. The shot in the house 
distracts asshole Andy outside, allowing awesome Erica to get the upper hand on a kid twice her size, kicks him right in the dick, and then smashes his ass with a flashlight. Absolute savage. In the attic, they're full-on fighting now, and I hate to say it, but Jace Hole, he's getting the upper hand. He even steps on and breaks Max's Walkman. That was the failsafe. That was the break glass in case of emergency thing that Lucas was probably going to use if he had to. And now it's broken. It's useless. As useless as Jason. While this is all happening, Max is still sitting there in a trance. In her mind, we see Vecna is now standing right in front of her, face to face. You are brave, Maxie. Much braver than your brother. But in the end, you are weak and fragile, just like him. Like all the rest of them. And you will break. Vecna raises his hand and holds it over Max's face which we basically know is the beginning of the final step of Vecna's horror. His taking of a soul. Max's eyes roll back and she starts to shake. It seems like this really is the end. But then... Vecna himself is thrown back violently. He's frozen and held in the air, unable to move. Max collapses to the ground, his hold on her released. She pushes herself up to see what happens. She sees Vecna frozen in the air. But that's not all she sees. In an amazing slow motion reveal, we see feet that then pan up. And there she is, arms raised, nose bleeding, focused, powerful, eleven. She found her way through the memories of Max's mind. She found her way to Max. She walks over and stands behind Vecna, behind Henry, behind one, holding him in place. And with a turn of the wrist, she slowly turns him so that he sees who is doing this to him. You're damn right it's her, Hank. Her turn to fling his rotting ass across the room, smashing him through the bleachers. I'd like to take a moment to go off script and just kind of talk about that moment. I didn't write any notes on this, but the, the fear that we see in Vecna's eyes when he sees that she's there, that she's not in the real world, in Max's mind, that she sees this. Uh, I love it. And the reveal, everything from Max's face to like, what the hell? And Eleven's just kind of, hi. So perfect, so amazing, so awesome, and he gets his ass flinged right into those bleachers. And with Vecna currently down, but surely not out, we cruise back over to the Upside Down and Eddie, our buddy Eddie Munson. He's still riding that bike with everything he's got, even taunting the Demobats to stay with him, stay chasing him, buying everyone at the Creel House more time. Dustin, not content with letting his friend sacrifice himself, 
puts the bed mattress back down on the ground as a sort of safety net, and also, I think, you know, to use later, he sets up a chair and just like, screw it. He runs and jumps off the chair with all his might, leaping up and grabbing a hold of the edge of the ceiling gate. He pulls his way through, but remember, Eddie moved the mattress before, so he smashed right on the ground that was, you know, previously above him, and now is below him. And he is in obvious pain. I'm pretty sure I heard something snap. And while Dustin is trying to get back to Eddie, we see that Eddie got knocked off his bike by those friggin' flying rats. And he starts to run. Starts to go. But then, he stops. I didn't know what to do, so I... I they ran away. I just ran and I left her there. I mean, look at us. We are not heroes. Eddie is done running. He turns. He raises his shield and spear like he's goddamn Jon Snow. And he faces the bats as they swarm around him, bouncing off his shield. I have to admit, at this moment, I thought the bats were being called back to the Creel house and that they were all just going to fly by him, except for the ones that were bouncing off him, and leave him be. God, I wish I was right. We go quickly back to Soviet Russia. Hopper's running down the hall, running for his life with the Demogorgon, you know, the one that he catcalled from the laundry room, hot on his tail. Joyce is watching all of this in fear on the security monitors from the control room. She looks over and sees these electrical cattle prods hanging on the wall. We jump quickly back to Hawkins Prime. We see Erica, after beating the shit out of Annie, running back to the Creel house. Inside, Lucas and Jason are still in the midst of their fisticuffs. Back and forth, back and forth. One guy getting the upper hand, then the other guy getting the upper hand. Then Jason smashes what looks like a vase over Lucas's head. Lucas goes down, turns with his arms up, wanting to stop the fight. But Jason closes in on him. While all this is happening, Max is still sitting there in Vecna's trance. And inside Max's mind memory, Eleven comes up to help her. Max, are you okay? Huh? Are you okay? Yeah. Are you... Are you real? Did I make you? I'm real. How? I piggybacked from a pizza dough freezer. What? That line made me laugh out loud the first time I saw it. Makes me still smile even hearing it now. Millie Bobby Brown delivers it with such a matter-of-fact way of saying it, like, well, I, you know, obviously I piggybacked from a pizza dough freezer. And even uh, Max's reaction of like, what? It was just perfect. But just as she tells Max she's real and that she's actually there, they hear something. They hear Vecna, the world's scariest bleacher creature. He's back. Starts walking over to them. Elle tells Max to stay back, and she walks to meet him. You know, if I'm Max, yeah. Oh, you want me to stay back? Sure, I will stay 
right back here. Is this back enough? Do you want me to go back further? Maybe go in, a, in another room? Is there a door over there? I can try to leave that way. I'll go as far back as you need to go have your psychic battle. And then 11 and 1. That sounds like a really good football team record. But we see 11 and we see 1. They're now facing off in the center of the gymnasium. If you touch her again, I will kill you again. Is that what you did? Did you kill me? I am so glad you are here, Eleven. This is going to be beautiful. Vecna uses his powers to levitate all these jagged pieces of wood. Pieces of the bleachers. So beautiful. He lifts them all around him. And then he flings them straight at Eleven. Eleven uses her powers to deflect them to the side. I was so afraid one of them was going to hit Max. Vecna, using L being distracted by the wood, now sends her flying, and she hits the ground hard. And he continues to just toss her all around the room. And Mike could tell what's happening back at the pizza shop. She's fighting him. Mike could tell by the way Eleven was moving in the tank, by the way the lights were flickering in the pizza shop. Eleven and Vecna were fighting. Fighting for Max's soul. Back in the Upside Down, Dustin was able to get himself up. And he's now limping outside the trailer, yelling, Eddie! Eddie! He sees the bats swarming. And he goes as fast as he can in that direction. Eddie, he's now surrounded. But he's doing a pretty good job of fighting those bastards off as he yells up at them, Come on! Back in the battle for Max Mayfield's mind, Vecna is stalking over to Eleven, who is still on the ground. And although she told Max to stay back, Max was not going to just sit there and let her best friend go it alone. She runs at Vecna from behind with one of those giant wooden stakes. A valiant effort. But Vecna Creel I simply flicks her away. She slides up against the wall and is seemingly knocked out. Knocked out in her own mind. Freaky, right? Elle gets back up, and she and Juan are at a standoff, both with their hands up trying to overpower the other one. But it looks like one is getting the upper hand. And now she is the one being raised in the air by his powers. She looks like she's in pain, and he basically summons her over to him. She glides closer to him, he gets really close to her face to tell her, Before I kill you, I want you to watch. He then sends her flying through some sort of portal, and she ends up, I guess, in Vecna's mind, in his lair, back where we saw Max and dear Billy, where we know Patrick, Fred, and Chrissy, their souls are all being held. Vines grab her around the wrists, and drag her up against the Creel House door. It's a rather stunning visual. The vines tighten around her wrists, 
with two other vines grabbing her by the ankles. She looks around and takes in all her surroundings. We've been there before. We've seen where Max was. This is the first time Eleven's seeing this. And then she looks and she sees Vecna come in with Max over his shoulder. He drops her to the floor. The vines pull her up and hold her in place as well. With Eleven unable to move, the only thing she can do to try to connect to Henry, to slow him down, stall with what he's doing with Max, is to talk to him. Papa is dead! what he did to you. You were different. Like me. And he hurt you. He made you into this. He's the monster, Henry. Not you. Reaches up and creepily, softly touches Eleven's face. But in the end, he could not control us. He could not shape us. He could not change us. Do you not see Eleven? He did not make me into this. We flash back to that fateful day in the lab and see young Eleven sending Henry into the Upside Down. At first, I believed you would send me to my death, to purgatory. We see one being sent to a new dimension. But I was wrong. I was somewhere new. Lightning striking him, changing him, burning him. We see him in this absolute wasteland. If this was the Upside Down, it didn't look like any version we've ever seen before. I became an explorer. It was like black, dead mountains with these large rocks floating in the sky. He still somewhat resembled the adult Henry Creel, but mangled. An explorer of a realm unspoiled by mankind. Now he was just walking through this hellscape. I saw so many things. In the distance, we see a demogorgon. In one day, I found the most extraordinary thing of all. He looks up and sees a swarm of those deadly particles. 
The same we saw in Russia. Something that would change everything. We flash back to young Henry Creel collecting spiders. I saw a means to realize my potential, to transcend my human form, to become the predator I was always born to be. We see the adult Henry Creel back in the hellscape, reaching his hand up and seemingly controlling the particles. The young version of Henry in the flashback we see scribbling a drawing. Old Henry, one, is taking the particles and shaping them into holy shit the mind flare. And the drawing the young Henry was making is of that same spider-like figure. Very similar to the drawing Will would make years later. He is not the general of the Mind Flayer's army. He is the leader of his army. The Mind Flayer is his creation, his pet, his general. Eleven realizes From the beginning. All I needed was someone to open the door. And he did that for me. We see back to the first season. Without even realizing it, didn't you? When Eleven touched the Demogorgon in the void, setting off a reaction that caused the gate to open in the Hawkins laboratory. And when you did realize, you chose to resist. We see Eleven destroying the Demogorgon at the middle school. We see Eleven closing the gate below Starcourt. So I sought a means to open my own doors. I sought... your power. We see Billy. All this time, we've been building it. As he was in Eleven's mind. For you. Speaking as the Mind Flayer. No, speaking as Vector. So don't you see? Once again, you have freed me. Eleven is beyond despair and tears. You don't have to do this. You can still stop this. It is over, Eleven. Your friends have lost. We cut over to see Jason beating the crap out of Lucas. We see Eddie getting struck by the bats, one getting him by the neck taking him down to his knees as Dustin screams for him. There is nothing, nothing you can do to stop this now. We see the Demodog has caught up to Hopper and is on top of him. Hop doing everything he can to fight it off. We see the bats have Eddie by the neck and all four limbs as others go to start to feed on him. We see Steve Nancy and Robin, still being held by the vines in the Creel house, struggling to just breathe. Hawkins will burn and fall in the rest of this senseless, broken world. And I will be there. Erica runs into the Creel house, screaming for Lucas. I will be there to pick up the pieces when it does. Jason is now choking Lucas choking him and not stopping. And remake it into something beautiful. The door to the attic must be locked because Erica can't get in. 
Lucas is starting to fade. There was a time when I had hoped to have you by my side. Vecna is holding Eleven by the chin as he tells her all of this. But now I just want you to watch. And then he turns and walks away from her and towards Max. And another vine comes and wraps itself around Eleven's neck. Vecna approaches Max, who is awake again, her face a mask of fear. She's sobbing as Vecna is finally ready to collect his fourth trophy. Don't be afraid. Try and stay very still. He raises his giant clawed hand over Max's face. Be over soon. And her gaze goes blank, her eyes looking straight up. Oh shit. In our reality, in our world, we see Max rising. Lucas notices it as he is fighting for his life. In the pizza shop, Elle is now really convulsing. Elle! Elle, can you hear me? Elle, come on, wake up! Wake up, Elle! Wake up! In Vector's memory, Elle is struggling. Mike gets them to pull Elle out of the makeshift tank and put her on a table. You can see the fear and tears in both Mike and Will's eyes. Elle is clearly choking. And Mike tries to speak to her, tries to connect with her. Mike, don't stop. Okay, you're the heart. Okay, remember that. You're the heart. Everyone looks scared, but Will reminds Mike that he is the heart of their group. L, I don't know if you can hear this, but, but if you can, I want you to know I'm here, okay? I'm right here. And I love you. L, do you hear me? I love you. I'm sorry I don't say it more. It's not because I'm scared of you. I, I'm not. I, I've never felt that way. Never. But I am scared that one day you'll realize you don't need me anymore. And I thought that if I said how I felt, it would somehow make that day hurt more. But the truth is, El, I don't know how to live without you. I feel like my life started that day we found you in the woods. You were wearing that... Yellow Benny's Burgers t-shirt, and it was so big it almost swallowed you whole. <laughs> and I knew right then and there, in that moment, that I loved you. And I've loved you every day since. I love you on your good days. I love you on your bad days. I love you with your powers. I love you without your powers. I love you for exactly who you are. You're my superhero. And... I can't lose you, okay? Do you hear me? I can't lose you. You can do anything. You can fly. You can move mountains. I believe that. I really do. But right now, you just have to fight, okay? L, do you hear me? You need to fight. You have to fight. Fight! And fight she does. She actually uses her powers to get the vines to back off of her, to let her go. 
Max is still fighting too, still holding on. Lucas watches her as he's getting choked and he doesn't stop fighting either. He's able to get the upper hand on Jason and beat the shit out of him until he knocks him out. Vecna takes things a step further and as Lucas disposes of Jason, he turns to see Max breaking. We see her arm snap. We also see Hopper, the Demogorgon, almost has him. We see Eddie, bleeding badly, getting bitten. Dustin trying to reach him. We see Max's leg snap, her other arm snap. Lucas screams. Eleven finally gets free. She screams out in rage. The screen goes black. And then... The next thing we see is Vecna going flying. Eleven did it. She was able to fling that bitch out of his own mine lair. And he looked actually scared as he was being flung away. In Russia, we see Joyce run in and electrocute the Demodog off of Hopper. Vecna, still flying, smashes up against a tree and goes down. And when he does, Max drops free in his lair. The real Max drops to the ground in the Creel attic. And in Russia, Hopper tosses the unconscious Demodog off of him. But there is another. Big Demogorgon. I think that's Mouthface himself. And he chases them out into the prison yard along with all the Demodogs, just in time for the big barbecue. Murray lights them up with a flamethrower. Joyce and Hop take cover behind the gate as Murray cooks their asses. The monsters all scream in pain at the same time. Vecna screams in pain. And at the same time, the bats around Eddie all fall dead. Murray keeps lighting them up and we see Robin, Steve, and Nancy. Now they're getting free from the vines holding them. Robin calls it a miracle. Nancy says that we better not waste it. And up into the attic they go for phase four. Flambe. Back over in Russia, Hopper and Joyce emerge from the cage that was protecting them. The bodies of the burnt demodogs everywhere. But then they hear a growl. The main monster, the main demogorgon, Mouthface, is still alive. Hopper's had enough. And he just unloads every bullet he has into the creature. And it does very little to deter the thing. Then we see Hop look down on the ground and there's a sword, a goddamn sword. It has to be left over from all those weapons the prisoners were allowed to use originally when they were going to fight the monster. Hopper picks up that sucker like he's ready to charge into Mordor. Back in Vecna's lair, L is now holding the big bad in place. He can't move. And now he is breathing heavily. In the Upside Down, the Kill Squad has made it to the attic. And there before them is the real Vecna, attached to every vine, deep in the middle of a psychic battle with a girl currently on a table in a Surfer Boy pizza in Nevada. Oh my God, I love this show. In that battle, that psychic battle, Eleven now slowly walks up to Vecna who somehow still believes he has the upper hand. 
you and your friends believe you have won, don't you? But this is only the beginning. The beginning of the end. We get this amazing montage of moments. Hopper charging with his sword at the Demogorgon. Steve tossing a flaming bottle at Vecna. Hopper going into a dive and chopping off the arm of the passing Demogorgon. The bottle hitting Vecna and his gross body engulfed in flames. In his lair, we see him scream and turn to dust. Everything around Eleven is evaporating into dust. The pain of what is really happening to Vecna seems to have forced him to disengage from his psychic connection he was holding. We see his body in the Creel House detached from the vines. He is now fully in flames and appears to be suffering. He falls to the ground, yes! We see Lucas holding Max, yelling her name, trying to get through to her. We see Vecna get back up from the ground. Shit! But Robin hits him with another fire bottle. It definitely hurts him. Nancy Wheeler then unloads on Vecna with her sawed off. Bang! What's up with that thing? She's looking like goddamn Sarah Connor. A shot to the shoulder, a shot to the gut, another shot to the shoulder. Vecna keeps creeping back, back, back. We cut over to Hopper battling the Demogorgon, who is reaching, trying to swat at the man. And then, James Hopper swings his effing sword with all his might and rage, and he relieves Mouthface of both his mouth and his face and his entire frickin' head. Vecna, still defiant, gives a guttural growl to Nancy. Was that supposed to scare this girl? She aims and fires again, and boom! The shot takes him back through the window. He bounces off the roof and lands in the lawn, fully aflame, and a look on his face that he just might be dead. Whew. Well, they won. Okay, everyone, roll credits. Uh, everyone have a great off season. And uh, wait, oh, wait, no, oh, okay. So we go to Russia and we see Joyce. Well, she's happy. She runs up and hugs Hopper. Is now a bad time to mention how much I love their matching winter coats? And with that amazing timing, right after he chops off the Demogorgon's head, we hear the sound of a helicopter. Going home. And I believe that is a wrap on Soviet Russia. At least someone gets a bit of a happy ending. But back in the Upside Down, Nancy, Steve, and Robin run outside to the front of the house. And Vecna is gone. 
I call that the Halloween ending. You think the bad guy is dead, but then you look again and you are very, very wrong. With the bats all down, Lucas can finally get to Eddie. Oh, oh God. Oh, God, Eddie. Bad, huh? No, 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 no. You're going to be fine. We just got to get you to a hospital, okay? Okay. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right. Come on. Give me a second, okay? Okay. I didn't run away this time, right? No, 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 no. You didn't run. You're gonna have to look after those little sheep for me, okay? No, you're gonna do that yourself. Nah, man. Say I'm gonna look after them. Say it. I'm, I'm gonna look after them. Oh, God. This is magically could graduate. <laughs> I think it's my year, Anderson. I think it's finally my year. <laughs> I love you, Dad. God, that smile, and when he said, I didn't run away this time, right? Oh my God, that kills me every time. When he says, I love you, man, according to the Stranger Writer's Twitter account, that was ad-libbed. And with that, Eddie Munson dies in Dustin's arms. Dustin is left sobbing. A good friend of his, a great, fun, misunderstood kid, dies in his arms. I don't care about what kind of crazy shit this kid has seen over the last few years. That is something heavy. That is something that could probably stick with you and should stick with you and should stick with Dustin and his character for a long time. Erica finally is able to break through the attic door and get up to Lucas and Max. I'm not even going to mention the other prick who's still up there. We need a doctor! Call it Max is alive. Yes, yes, I'm here. I'm here. But her eyes look I, pale. I can't feel or see anything. I know, I know. It's okay. We're gonna get you some help, okay? Just, just hold on. Lucas, I'm scared. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I know. I know. I know. I know. sad moment is happening, we see Eleven back with them in the void. She is also crying her eyes out. Erica Help was also another line ad-libbed. Great. Just an amazing performance all around. Amazing performances from everyone. 
And then, Max. Her breathing slows down. Her eyes close. Lucas lets out a primal scream of pain. In the void, Eleven is crying and screaming, Max! And then, we hear, Oh, shit. Is that a clock ticking? Four times. Max. Suddenly, in the attic of the upside-down Creel house, we see another gate opening. Opening right where Max lays in the actual Creel house. Lucas pulls her out of the way just in time as this gate opens and keeps on opening. It starts to tear right through the entire attic of the Creel house. And oh, look, Jason is half awake. Oh, and now he's half adjacent. Oh, that friggin' crack went right through him. Look, look, um, that's a bad way to die. But if anybody in this show has to die that way, I- I'm, I'm just going to say I'm okay with it being him. Okay? There. I know that's probably mean, probably a terrible thing to say, but uh, and great job by the actor because, my God, what a hateable character. So long, Jason. Sorry you had to split so soon. <laughs> Boom. Nailed it. All the gates are expanding now. The Creel gate is going outside. The trailer gate is flowing out through the ground of the trailer park. Lover's Lake seems to be collapsing upon itself as the gate widens at the bottom. And the road gate, where Fred was killed, is tearing through the pavement. All of Hawkins is shaking. We see Karen and Holly Wheeler freaking out. In the Upside Down, we see Nancy, Robin, and Steve holding on for dear life as the earth moves below them. We see Lucas, terrified, still holding on to Max. The gates, the cracks, whatever they are, they're all spreading, all through Hawkins, swallowing homes and neighborhoods. Businesses and buildings are all crumbling, and then all four streams of red converge in one spot. I want to say it's by the library? And there's an explosion of fire and lava in the air. And we see a cloud of, like, this concussive power blow out from that spot and spread out wide. Overhead, a giant four-way line of red is overtaking the Knight of Hawkins. And I want to say bravo to whoever noticed that the design of the cracks in the town actually mirrors the cracks in the Creel House clock face. Such an amazing Easter egg that I saw posted someplace, but I have no idea who it was who originally found it. Amazing. After that explosion, after the four gates spread and converge, things seem to stop a bit. They seem to calm down. And Lucas is still holding on to Max. The pizza crew still comforting Eleven, praying for her to pull through as she still is in the void. Come on. Come on. I know you're in there. I know you're in there. Wake up. Wake up. And we see her. Wake up. The void is now bathed in a red glow. She's still kneeling next to Lucas and Max. She takes a slow, deep breath. No. You're not going. No. No. 
And with that, she puts her hand on Max's chest and closes her eyes. We get a montage of Max and Eleven's relationship together. Remember, Max is the one who made Eleven feel like a regular kid, just hanging out with her friend. Hi. Hi. Max wanted to have a sleepover. Which one? This is Wonder Woman, a.k.a. Princess Diana. Not Hopper. Not Mike. You. Could this be really happening? Can Eleven actually do this? The camera pans up, and then it fades to black. The screen reads, two days later. We fade back into a nice fall day. And as we pan down, we see a road. A road filled with cars driving in one direction. The direction is past the sign that says, Leaving Hawkins. Come again soon. There appears to be a mass exodus of Hawkins, Indiana. So many people are getting the hell out of that town. In fact, there only seems to be one car on the other side of the road coming into town. A surfer boy pizza van. Off in the distance, back from where all these cars had come from, we see smoke, dark plumes of smoke rising and multiple helicopters overhead. It's been less than 48 hours since a 7.4 magnitude earthquake rocked the quaint town of Hawkins, 80 miles outside of Indianapolis, in an event that seismologists are calling a natural disaster of near unprecedented scale. The death toll now stands at 22, but with hundreds more filling Roan County hospitals and many more still missing, officials expect those numbers to rise. While we hear the voiceover of the newscaster, we see Eleven and the Pizza Boys getting into town, realizing just how bad it is at their home. Multiple people packing more cars to leave. The high school crowded with people in some sort of makeshift shelter. They hear that currently 22 people are dead, not including those we know that Vecna already took. Chrissy, Patrick, Fred, Max, perhaps, we're not sure. The downtown area looks like a volcano hit. A large building that could have been the town hall, it could be the library, just devastated. There's military now directing traffic, news vans doing reporting. They drive by a Hawkins Presbyterian church where a good amount of people are funneling in. A priest hangs a message outside the church, written on a bedsheet. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is only the latest tragedy to befall this once safe town. Most recently, a string of high school students were killed in a series of ritualistic murders which have been linked to a local satanic cult known as Hellfire. Eddie Munson, the leader of this cult and prime suspect in the murders, has been missing since the earthquake and is presumed dead. But this offers little comfort to the people of Hawkins, who are scared, angry, and searching for answers. 
Why their town? What have they done to deserve so much suffering? A growing chorus believes the two recent tragedies are linked, claiming the Munson murders opened a doorway between worlds, a doorway, they say, into hell itself. Are you hearing this? They're now calling it a doorway into hell. Great. More hysteria. Just what we need. Well, it's the news. Now indistinguishable from the tabloids. Ted Wheeler, wrong again. I mean, let's be honest. If you heard that on the news, you'd think that's crazy, too. Uh, and it's not really a doorway to hell, but it's not far off, Mr. Reporter Man. It's not far off. However, people are still calling these ritualistic murders uh, with this cult of hellfire. So does that, like, they mention Eddie Munson, they mention hellfire. Like, do you think the police are still going to start, go back to question um, all the guys that are in hellfire? I wonder if that is going to continue. We know what happens at the end of this season. We know what happens at the end of this episode. We'll be talking about it pretty soon. That what that thing that happens, could they still be saying, it's because of the cult of hellfire? I mean, I wouldn't find that that crazy. Also, it was cool to see uh, Holly playing with that light bright. Holly, you don't know just how helpful that light bright was in saving some people's lives. Karen walks outside of the house holding a box of stuff, old stuff from Nancy's from the attic. And outside in the driveway... There's Nancy, Steve, Robin, and Dustin. When we last saw them all, they were still in the Upside Down when the gates cracked open and cracked open most of Hawkins. My guess is the explosion in the center of town happened. Things started to simmer down, literally, and the kids were able to slip back through the gates. Oh, hell, they could have just slipped through any of the cracks, really, right? Whatever happened, they made it back. And it's been two days since Vecna's plan and... The plan seemingly succeeded, and yet even with the aftermath we see, it seems like it's just just that, aftermath. Like the worst is behind them? How can things be so normal after what we've witnessed? No, I'm not saying things are normal. I mean, but it looks like after a natural disaster happened, after something happened. So is it done now, the box that Karen had is full of old toys, uh, one of many boxes they're loading into Steve's car. It sounds like they're going to be donating these things to Hawkins families in need. While they're doing this, in the distance, we hear the sound of a vehicle coming. Did, did somebody order pizza? Pizza? At the end of the driveway, a strange pizza van pulls up, and out comes Jonathan, Eleven, Will, and Mike and some dude with long hair that none of them know and what follows is a great little reunion Mike runs to his mom first you are never going on vacation again you hear me in fact you can forget about college you are staying right here Will and Eleven run to Dustin you okay Jonathan to Nancy yeah I'm okay but Jonathan this isn't an earthquake I know more than you think. Uh, no. We've been trying to call you. I know. I know. I'm sorry. We just couldn't risk contact. Couldn't, couldn't risk contact? Okay. 
I'll tell you everything, okay? okay. I promise. Jonathan kisses Nancy on the head and holds her tight. And we get one quick glimpse of a shot of Steve walking by them. Robin giving him a nice pat on the back. Sorry, Steve. Maybe that dream of a family vacation with Nancy is only that. A dream. Will and Eleven are with Dustin, and Will asks... Where's Lucas? He's at the hospital. Was he hurt? No, no, he's... Oh, God. You don't know. No, they don't know. The last thing we saw with Eleven was her touching Max and saying she was not going to let her go. But it seems like that's the last thing that Eleven saw as well. We cut over to a hospital room. On the wall, we see the drawing Max made of her and Lucas going to the movies. We hear Lucas talking, not just talking, he's reading. Reading aloud from a big, hard-covered book. The book is the 1984 novel The Talisman by Stephen King and Peter Straub. A book that features a place called The Territories, a strange fantasy land set in a parallel universe. Ooh, another universe? Sounds plausible. Lucas's face is still pretty badly beaten, but he's on the mend. Erica is on a chair behind him, but the real focus of the room is who Lucas is reading to. In the hospital bed lies Max Mayfield. She has a brace around her neck, oxygen flowing through a tube attached to her nose. Both arms are in casts, both legs the same. She's unconscious, but she is alive. Lucas stops reading to look up at her as the hospital door opens and in walks Mike, Will, Eleven, Jonathan, and Nancy. Lucas is so, so happy to see them. They all embrace. Eleven holds on a little longer. I'm sorry, she said. You can see that she has some real guilt with how things turned out. But Lucas still has no idea that Eleven was even there. That she was even trying to help Max. Eleven glances over to her friend laying there. And now her, Mike, and Will all walk over to her bed. Eleven asks Lucas, Do they know when she'll wake? He said no. They say she might not. Her heart stopped for over a minute. She died. I, I mean, clinically, but then she came back. Doctors don't know how. They say it's a miracle. When Mike and Will hear miracle, they look at each other and then both turn to look at Eleven. If it was indeed a miracle, they think it's a miracle that this amazing young woman had to do with. Eleven sits down on the bed, takes Max's hand, and closes her eyes. Eleven seems to be going into the void, but we don't see what she sees. We don't go with her. Instead, 
We see the rest of the gang, Robin, Steve, and Dustin, arrive at Hawkins High with boxes of things to donate. You can see Dustin still limping from that bit of a tumble he took between dimensions. Inside the school gym, there's an ocean of people. Cots line the basketball court where displaced people are now staying. There's a wall filled with names of photos of missing persons. There's a corner of space where doctors and nurses are checking on people. And the Central Indiana Regional Blood Center is ready to take your blood donations. The Central Indiana Regional Blood Center is a real place. On Yelp, it has only one review, but it's a five-star review, so we know we can trust them. Hi. Hi. Uh, so these are blankets and sheets and some, some clothes and, and some kids' toys. Wow, it's already so organized. We appreciate that. Do you want a tax receipt form? Um, no, I don't think that we need one. Thank you, though. But is there anything else that we can do to help? There's something nice about young people giving back to their community. Sure, donations are wonderful and very helpful, but Robin looks around and she sees that, you know, there are other things they can do. They can donate their time. So Steve is given the task of helping to organize clothes while Robin was put in charge of PB&J. But she's not the only one doing it. Who do we see but Vicky? Vicky's there too, and there's actually a fun, like, goofy interchange between them. Interchange? Is that a word? Conversation between them. She's like, Robin, what are you doing here? I didn't mean what are you doing here. I meant like, oh, what are you doing here? And they start talking, and you it's funny, you see just how much alike they are where they're uh, talk. you know, Vicky says, sometimes I just talk and I talk and I talk and I talk and I don't, I don't even know what I'm saying. Uh, do you ever, you know what I mean? And Robin's like, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And we find out that her boyfriend thought this was all too much and she left him, went back to college. So screw Dan and screw his stupid hair. He's out of here. But what I like what I like to see is that, you know, they give they gave each other this like this look. Now, who knows what that means? It could mean that um, a relationship is in the future. It could mean a great friendship is in the future. But it's just nice to see. And Steve sees the two of them and he can't help but smile while he continues to fold clothes. With the two of them busy feeding and clothing people, Dustin is making the rounds, making sure people are well hydrated giving water to those who need it. He looks over and sees Wayne Munson, Eddie's uncle. He's at the missing person uh, billboard, and he's taking down a poster of Eddie. He seems to be putting these up, and people are desecrating them. They drew devil horn, a tail, a pitchfork, and a pentagram on it, still believing he's in a satanic cult. The angry hicks of Hawkins still exist, people. It seems like... Uh, Uncle Wayne's done this a couple times. He took the one down that was ruined. He puts a fresh one up. Probably not the first time he's done it, and it probably wouldn't be the last time. But when Dustin sees Uncle Wayne, he had to go and talk to him. Mr. Munson? I'm Dustin Henderson. Can we talk? Can't imagine we got anything to talk about. My nephew is innocent. He's still missing. 
I'll put up as many posters as I need till he's found. Good day to you. I was with him. I was with him when the earthquake hit. It sucks he has to say earthquake and can't tell Wayne. And where is Eddie now? Can't tell him how much of a hero Eddie really is, truly. Dustin hands Eddie's uncle a necklace with a pick on it as a charm. You can see with that, Uncle Wayne knew what happened. I'm so sorry. They sit for a moment together. Uncle Wayne is crying. Dustin is crying. I'm crying. It was great for Dustin, who never lacks in self-confidence, to go up to this man he doesn't know, tell him his nephew is dead, but also tell him what people are saying about him is wrong. I wish everyone had gotten to know him really know him because they would have loved him Mr. Munson they would have loved him even in the end he never stopped being Eddie despite everything I never even saw him get mad he could have run could have saved himself. But he fought. He fought and died to protect this town. This town that hated him. He isn't just innocent. Mr. Munson, he's... He's a hero. And I love Mr. Munson's response to all this. As tragic as it is, he's in real pain there. You know, they could have gone the cliche route. A young punk stuck to live in a trailer with his uncle. The uncle could have been a prick. He could have thought his nephew was a loser and be abusive. But you see now that there was real love there. Real love between the uncle and the nephew, and he's in real pain. And as much as I, you know, it's horrible to see, it's also kind of beautiful. We leave the high school and cut over to the pizza van. It's now driving in the woods on a dirt road. The pizza crew, now with Nancy, all pile out of the van. We see Eleven pause for a moment and take a deep breath. And now we know what she's looking at. Hopper's cabin, her old home. She hasn't been there since the monster attacked her. They go inside and holy shit, the place is a total disaster. And that giant monster made hole in the ceiling? Yeah, that's a bit of a problem. I mean, I get we got a high Supergirl and all, but this isn't exactly like a fortress of solitude, man. It's more like a fortress of grodiness. Remember, Sullivan and his men are still out there, still looking for Eleven. And with what happened in Hawkins coinciding with Eleven getting away, you can be sure he's going to be looking for her. So the plan is to hide her 
in Hopper's cabin. Even if they know that Hopper has a connection with the girl, they probably don't know about the cabin and they still think Hopper is dead. In fact, right now, everyone in the cabin, cleaning it up and trying to make it look livable, they all still think Hopper is dead too. Outside the cabin, Jonathan and Nancy are boarding up a smash window. While Argyle, Nancy notices, seems to be taking an interest in some local plant life. Specifically, it looks like mushrooms, probably magic ones. While they get back to fixing the window, Jonathan looks like he has to say something. Hey, Nancy? Yeah? Sorry I wasn't here. Oh, I mean, to be honest, I'm kind of glad you weren't. I just mean I'm glad you were with Mike and Will. And I'm, I'm glad you're here, too. Otherwise, who'd have been in charge? Steve. <laughs> He's actually grown up quite a bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Hey. Yeah? Are we okay? It's just, you know, it's hard. I feel like life keeps throwing things in the way of our big plans. Yeah, it sure seems like that. You think it's uh, too late to throw saving the world on your college resume? Your, your application letter. Not that it matters at all anymore, but did it? Ever come? No. No. Um, not yet. So there we see, yeah, they may say everything's fine, but you can see there is a little awkwardness between them. It seemed like Jonathan was a little taken off guard when Nancy stood up for Steve maturing. And then we have Jonathan still not telling Nancy the truth about his college application. I don't like secrets or tension between my friends, so I hope this can be resolved before it's too late. Inside, Elle is cleaning up and then goes into her old bedroom. She uses her powers to close the door, but not all the way. She leaves it open three inches. Those are the rules. Will and Mike are left alone in the main living room, or whatever you call it in a cabin, the main room. And while they're there, they take a moment to talk. Did she talk to you at all? Not much. I mean, a little bit. Dr. Brenner. He says that she wasn't ready. And now she's starting to think he was right. That's crap. If it wasn't for her, if she hadn't left the lab, Max wouldn't be alive right now. I know. Just she's, um... She's never lost before. Not like this. She'll have another chance. Let's hope not. Let's hope one is dead and rotting. He's not. Now that I'm here, in Hawkins, I can feel him. And he's hurt. He's hurting. But he's still alive. It's strange knowing now who it 
was this whole time, but I can still remember what he thinks and how he thinks. And he's not going to stop, ever. Not until he's taken everything and everyone. We have to kill him. And we will. We will. You can't forget Will's connection to all of this. It's not the Demogorgon he's connected to. It's not the Mind Flayer, who for a few years we thought it was. It's Henry Creel. One. Vecna. It's been him all this time. It's always been him. As Mike reassures Will, we will kill him. We will. They hear a car approaching outside. Who the hell could that be? It looks like military. (laughs) Did they already find her? How could they possibly know? In her room, Eleven is cleaning up and she finds that old Coke bottle under her bed. From the time her and Max played Spin the Bottle, Psychic Spy Edition. We remember during the sleepover last year. She puts the bottle on the ground and she spins it. Thinking about Max in the hospital. Thinking about her with Max in the hospital. And how she went into the void to connect to Max. But in the void, there was no one there. No Max. Just Eleven. Alone. She called her name over and over, but nothing was there. In the cabin, the bottle stops, and Eleven just gives a tearful breath, upset that she does not know how to save her friend. Then she hears something outside, in the main part of the house. A door opens, and she hears footsteps. She's afraid she's already been found. But then, the door opens. Thank you. And after all these years, we get the reunion we've all been waiting for. It's a very touching, lovely moment. It didn't give me the same chills as Joyce and Hop's reunion, but the enormity of this one is not lost on me. See, Joyce had real evidence to the fact that Hopper was alive. Eleven only had hope. So seeing Hopper here, I kept it open. Seeing her dad I alive kept the door open three inch. is just incredible. I stop believing. I know it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm here. I'm here. They have a nice laugh over how they both have their hair chopped off. Your hair. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of stole your look, kid. What do you think? 
much. Mm. <laughs> and they share a great hug. And then Eleven hears another voice outside. And she runs out of the cabin to find Joyce in a big hug with both her children. Wait, no, not both her children. You aren't the only one that didn't stop believing. With her two sons. Because let's be honest, she has a third child, doesn't she? And no, I'm not talking about Argyle. Joyce and Eleven's eyes meet, and then they come together in a great hug. I'm happy you went to your conference. That was quite the experience. It's just an all-around happy, awesome moment. They share tears of joy. Hopper gives a little wave to, uh, oh, we see it's the woman who worked for Owens. She was driving the car, okay. She gives a little tip of the cap back, a little salute, and she gets in and heads off. And then we get a moment that I didn't realize I needed or wanted until I got it. Hopper and Mike. Hey. You're grown. You shrunk. So many times in the past they were butting heads. I mean, this, this little punk was dating his daughter, you know? But they share some nice words and then a nice hug. And I gotta tell you, I loved it. Ah, <sighs> you know, who knows what the future holds? But for now, everything seems like it's gonna be all. Oh, shit. <laughs> Will grabs the back of his neck. He's getting those chills, and we know what those mean. Come on, can't we have one day where everything is just fine? He turns and looks up into the sky. There appears to be a cloud of some kind forming. But wait, this isn't something only Will is experiencing, like in the past. They all see it now. They're all looking up. They can hear some thunder in the background, and, and now, is it, is it snowing? Well, that's not that big of a deal. Wait, ooh, that's not snow. Those are dark particles floating in the sky. In the past, we know those were only found in the Upside Down. Oh boy, and it's not just them seeing it. People all over town. At the Wheelers? Mom, it's snowing! Holly, I just said it's not snow. Try to keep up. Karen looks out the window, too. And she's not so sure that's Mother Nature's doing. At the hospital, Lucas and Erica are looking out the window, seeing it as well. And they know damn well what it means. At the school, Robin and Steve look out the window. They know what it means, too. Vicky's also with them. She has no idea what the hell is going on right now. And I wonder if this means she's going to be joining the crew. Outside the school, dozens of Hawkins residents are also looking up into the sky, including Mr. Munson and Dustin. Dustin looks more frightened than the rest of them. And we sure as hell know why. Back at the cabin, they start going through the woods to a clearing all of them with sullen looks on their faces. 
They're in a field of brightly colored flowers. But at a certain point, the colorful display of nature ends and the ground looks brownish, gray. Grass and flowers wilted and dead. Eleven walks into the dead grass to a flower. She crouches down to see the color draining from the flower, see it die right before her eyes. She picks off a dead part of the flower and then looks off into the distance. And what we see is absolutely breathtaking. In a bad way. Smoke rising. Cracks of red flame throughout the town. Red lightning and thunder in the sky. We see each of our groups of people looking on in absolute disbelief. Joyce and Hopper grab each other's hands for support. Is Argyle still picking mushrooms? I didn't see him out there. But while they all look despaired, Eleven looks angry, determined, ready to finish what she couldn't finish before. The last shot we see is the back of everyone on that hill, looking down at Hawkins in smoke, ash, and what I'm guessing is lava? A lone helicopter in the distance. There's no hiding this anymore. The city sees it, and soon you have to think the entire world will know. The Upside Down has come to Hawkins. The screen goes black. The episode is over. The season is over. Stranger Things 4 is over. No final Stranger Things 4 sign that we see with the theme music that we they, they usually use at the end. Not here. Not in this final stinger. We're just left with Hawkins in flames. So now what? What's next? That's the big question, isn't it? I have some thoughts. I have some ideas. But you know what? This episode, hell, this season was so long that I don't want to let go. I don't want to say goodbye. So I'm not going to say goodbye. I'm not done with Stranger Things 4 yet. In a few days from now, you're going to be hearing from me again. Basically a quick wrap-up of the season. Some questions I have, some theories I have, and we get to talk about what's coming next for Stranger Danger. But that's in a couple days. Until then, my friends, I want to thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing, for following me, for being patient with the timing of these episodes and with the length of these episodes. I want to hear from you. Email StrangerDanger at FansNotExperts.com or go to StrangerDangerPodcast.com slash hotline or click the link in the show notes to leave me a voicemail message. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Geek Mentality. The show is on Twitter at StrangerDPod and now on TikTok, yes, that's right, on TikTok at StrangerDangerPod. You can actually also buy a Stranger Danger t-shirt if you want. You want to be the coolest kid in school this fall or the coolest kid at work next week? 
Go to StrangerDangerPodcast.com slash store to learn more. I bought one myself, and it's pretty nice. Once again, I just want to thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening, for subscribing. I hope you stick with me, and I can't wait to talk about what comes next. Please stay stranger, my friends, because being normal is boring. And remember, Eddie Munson died a hero. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.